tonight to an extent as we look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now, we have been moving through this, looking at Paul's heartbeat for the Galatian Christians, realizing that they have been misled, they have backpedaled, they have uh, moved away from what their earlier commitment was. And Paul is coming to them and he's questioning them about their understanding of salvation. I mean, he is saying, did you not get this? Uh, Galatians, much like the book of Romans, is, is a book that deals with Paul's great heartbeat. And that heartbeat throughout all of his letters and his understanding of the gospel and the very central matter of the gospel is that the gospel is based on justification by faith alone. That is, that that's, it's not by works, it's not by religion, it's not by pedigree, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's on the basis of grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the essence of the gospel. Now, that was lost for many years. It was lost for about almost 1,500 years in the, in the church to some degree or another. And it took the Protestant Reformation uh, coming about. And Martin Luther and his new understanding, when he read that in Romans, you know, for, for, for a man is, uh, man is made righteous, man is justified by faith. And he understood that and it, it radically changed his life. And it ought to radically change our lives when we realize that. And when we come to learn what it means to apply it in a day-in and day-out situation. Now before we read those nine verses in chapter 3, I want to remind you what Paul talked about last week because it's important that, to understand they build on each other. The latter part of chapter 2 and the first part of, of chapter 3, really all of chapter 3, but what we're looking at tonight specifically builds on verses 15 through 21 that we looked at last week. Paul made three important affirmations there. He said three things. He said, first of all, no amount of good works can make a person right with God. And that's in verses 15 through 17 where he said, you know, uh, knowing the man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he makes it clear that if we are still seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. If Christ is Christ then a minister of sin, may it never be. Paul said, I want you to understand, there is no amount of good works can ever make a person right with God. No matter how hard you try, you may say, oh, but I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to be a, a religious person. I'm going to do everything I can to really make God like me. And Paul says, you'll fall flat on your face every time. Good works do not do it. Second thing he said was that we must be dead to the law and alive to God, verses 18 and 19. He said, you know, if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I may live to God. Uh, Paul says, we need to understand, the law had a purpose. And the law's purpose was to point people to their need for a Savior. The law could not save. It was powerless to do so. It had no authority to bring about new life in anybody's circumstances. The law was only a tutor, he, he will say later on in this book. He will say it was a pedagogos, a tutor, one who pointed to that which was the reality, but it could not bring about the reality. All the law can ever do is show you how, how, what a great need you have 
and point you to where that need can be satisfied and be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing Paul showed us last week that we looked at was that Christ is the agent of death to the law and life unto God. In verses 20 and 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's the agent. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And his point there is Christ did not die needlessly. He died because he had to for us to find salvation, for us to be found in him. He had to die as our sacrifice. So... All of that is centering around this whole doctrine, this whole concept of justification by faith alone. And it's very important that we grasp that. It's very important that it be recovered in our day. Because as we talked about a little bit last week, and we'll talk about more in this study, in our day we have moved back to more of a, a justification by works mentality. Very subtly... And no one would ever say, oh, but I, I believe that we're justified by works. It's our good deeds that make us right with God. Nobody would ever say that. But if you watch the practical living out of the Christian faith in many people's lives, we have started buying an old lie, and that's the only way you can put it. It's the lie of the evil one, that we really can be good enough, that we really can strive hard enough, that we really can make something of ourselves apart from just totally and completely relying upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone. And, and that's a dangerous thing for the church to come to because I think Martin Luther was right when Martin Luther said that as the doctrine of justification by faith alone falls, so falls the church. That that is the linchpin. That is the central doctrine that gives us our power and gives us our understanding of what the gospel is. And so we come to chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And, and we think about what does it mean to be justified by faith? What does it mean to be made right with God on the basis of faith alone? Now, we talked earlier about the Judaizers, those who had gone back in after Paul had left Galatia and had said, you know, that's, this, this Jesus stuff is good. That's all right. Nothing wrong with believing in Jesus, but it's not just believing in Jesus. It's believing in Jesus plus applying the rituals and the law to your life. You have to live by the law in order to believe in Jesus. You have to live by the law in order for your belief to, uh, to really be enacted. And, and Paul is saying here, don't believe that because that's not the truth. Listen to how he puts it. How would you like if I stood up here and I said, you foolish Gracians. You know, you foolish people of grace, Baptist church. That's what he says here, you foolish Galatians, talking to the church. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law 
or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now there's two things that Paul is doing here that are very significant. He is first of all, in verses 1 through 5, asking some very penetrating and some very personal questions to the Galatians. He, he is, if you will, trying to validate to some degree what has happened there based on their experience. He's saying, I want you to know the gospel was confirmed among you by your experience. Now, experience is not always the best indicator. As a matter of fact, experience alone is never a good indicator of faith. Uh, you know, a lot of people, and I grew up in the in the 60s and the 70s through the hyper-evangelism times which said, listen, your greatest tool is your testimony because you can tell what happened to you and nobody can dispute what happened to you. Well, let me tell you something. If what happened to you does not correspond with what the Word of God says, then you've got a problem. Your, your experience alone does not validate anything. Your personal testimony alone you know, could just be the fact that you had these feelings churning around in your stomach and you thought it was the Holy Spirit, it might have been the pickles you ate the night before or something. I mean, experience does not validate anything alone. If that were true, then we cannot argue that the Muslim is in error because the Muslim will say, I've had this experience with Allah. I pray five times a day. I have a very strong experience and I feel something and I I feel different when I do that, and that's my experience, so it must be true. Experience is only as good as the truth that validates it. It's only as good as the truth that is behind it. You have to remember that. You have to remember that in your own life. You have to remember that in the life of the church. You have to remember that when you're watching TV preachers because they come up with all sorts of experiences that may or may not relate to the... Uh, to the truth of the gospel. I, had, I was talking to one of our young people who, and I won't go into a lot of detail because I don't want to give away a lot of stuff here, but she was asking me about a certain person that a teacher of hers had mentioned, and, uh, and I directed her to some websites about him, not of his, but some evaluation of his stuff. And, and one of the questions that they asked this guy on there was, uh, does God speak to you in other ways beside the scripture? He said, oh yeah, in many ways. He said, well, tell me some ways God may speak to you. And he said, well... Uh, this morning I got up and, and I looked at my, or, or I was doing something, I looked at my clock and it said 9.15. And, and the ne that night as I was doing something at my home, I looked at the clock again and exactly the same time it said 9.15. The next morning I looked at my clock at a certain time and it said 9.15. And I knew that God was trying to tell me something. And so I went to the Bible and I went to Proverbs 9.15. And I looked at that and I said, yes, that's what God's trying to tell me today. Folks, that's very, very weak and very dangerous. Now, the Word of God will tell you a lot as you read it systematically, as you study it, and as God's Holy Spirit applies that to your life. But don't go looking to your clock for guidance spiritually, okay? And biblically, that's a dangerous thing to do. Well, Paul is saying to the Galatians, though, 
I want you to know you're acting foolishly. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched there is a word that could, is looked at as being bedazzled or, or confused or, or put under a spell. Who, who has bewitched you to lead you away from the truth that you had committed your life to, that you had come to see? And when he calls them foolish Galatians, he's, he's basically using that as a term of endearment and, and pity as well as a term of condemnation. So his first question he asked them relating to their own experience is, who in the world has bewitched you? Who has brought you under a spell? Who has led you astray from the truth of God's Word and the truth of the gospel? Now, I entitled this message tonight, The Gospel-Driven Life. And you'll hear that phrase a lot as we move through the rest of Galatians. Because you see, folks, that's what we must have. We must have a life that is driven by the gospel, not driven by the law, not driven by our works, not driven by, by legalism, but a life that is driven by the law. And, and Paul is saying here, who has distracted you from this gospel-centered life? Why, you had Christ publicly portrayed before you as crucified. In other words, we came and we talked about it. It was demonstrated to be true that Christ was crucified for your sins and you have been crucified with Christ and now He lives in you and the life you live in the flesh, you now live by the power of Jesus Christ. Who bewitched you and convinced you that you somehow now have to, okay, have Christ but, but work on all the law? We, uh, I was talking to uh, uh, someone this morning and she was talking about being on a trip and and, and she said uh, she was going to try some she-crab soup. And a, a tour guide or somebody that was with them said, oh, you shouldn't eat that because the Levitical law says that you shouldn't eat things that are in the sea and on, on the bottom of the sea, and, and that comes about. So you, need to, you can't do that. Well, she was right in saying to him, well, you need to read Acts chapter 10 where the Spirit came to Paul and said, don't call anything that I've made unclean, you know. Because we're not under those Levitical laws of dietary manners anymore. Now, you can look at those. You may say, well, you'd be healthier if you ate them and everything else. That's fine. You may be. But the point is, they're not binding on the believer as an act of faith. And these Judaizers were coming back, bewitching the Galatians. They were being foolish in accepting it, and they were being led astray. So Paul condemns them and pities them in the same question. The second question he asks is this. Did you, read, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? Which way was it? In effect, he's asking the question, how did you become a Christian? Did you become a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ alone? Or, or did you become a Christian by doing some things that, that, that made Jesus more accepting of you, and, and you, you kind of cleaned up your life, and you kind of made yourself better. Did you, were you saved by works of the law, or were you saved by faith? Now, obviously, the anticipated rhetorical, uh, or answer to this rhetorical question is, no, we received the Spirit, we became a Christian by faith. The Spirit of God filled us and came to indwell within us when we simply trusted Him. We put our faith. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. We don't have to do anything to earn the Spirit. We don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. 
It, it was, we, we were justified by faith in Christ alone. So Paul says, why do you now get caught up in works? Not that works aren't important. We talked about that last week. Works are an outworking of inward, inward uh, faith. And, and works will be present if true saving faith is present. But the, the works are not what make you right with God. I, I, I counsel people all the time that are struggling with, I don't know if God really loves me because my, my works aren't as good as they ought to be. And I said, are you depending on your works to, to earn God's love? then you're just like the, the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son brother, he thought, man, you should give me the fatted calf and give me the ring on my finger because I've stayed here and I've worked and I haven't left you and I haven't done anything to defame your name. And this son, this, this brother of mine, or your son, has now come back and you're treating him like a prince. You're treating him like a son. It was that idea that I, I've worked hard to make you happy, Daddy. And this, this brother of mine squandered everything you gave him. Why do you still treat him like a son? You know why he treats him like a son? Because he is a son. And, and he did some foolish things. He did some ridiculous things. But, but the father still loved him. I'm thankful that our father doesn't say to us when we blow it every now and then, maybe more than just now and then, when we blow it daily, I'm glad God doesn't say, I'm sorry, I want nothing to do with you. You've got you to do something to make me happy again. You've got to do something to earn my favor again. That's not the gospel, folks. The gospel is that God loves you through Jesus Christ with an immeasurable love that we can't even begin to imagine. Not because of what you've done, not because of who you are, but because of who He is and what Jesus did. That's the gospel truth. So, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith? You know, and, and the answer is by faith. There, there's a third question here in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, are, are you believing that, that you were saved through faith? But now you've got to live out some kind of works mentality in order to stay saved? Is it a matter of you think now that, that, that okay, I was saved, God saved me, but if I don't do something, if I don't do just right, then I'm going to be lost again. A lot of people believe that. I don't. Because I think the Scripture is clear that, that once you are in Christ, you are secure in Christ, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You belong to Him, and we may grieve the Spirit, we may quench the Spirit, but we will never cease to be sons once we're adopted into the family of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Are you so foolish to think that you were saved by the Spirit, by faith, and now you've got to be perfected by works? Paul says that's just not true. Then he asks a fourth question. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, the implication there, Paul hasn't dealt with it clearly. He'll deal with it a little more in chapter 6. But the implication there is clear that these Galatian Christians had suffered some, somewhat, some type of persecution because of their faith. They had paid a price for coming to Christ. And they had probably seen the, 
the Jews and the Judaizers and all the others, when they first came to Christ, uh, persecute them, ridicule them. Maybe they lost their jobs. Maybe their family turned against them. But he said, you know, that's suffering. Did you suffer those things in vain when you came to Christ? When you were persecuted for simply trusting in Christ and in the cross of Christ alone? Later on, he's going to talk about boasting only in the cross of Christ. I'll boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. And he's going to say there are some who will boast in their works, but they're just trying to get favor with men. They're trying to avoid persecution. You see, this matter of, of justification by faith alone in Christ alone it is hated by the legalist. It's hated by the religionist because it's, it's not... It's not, it's not enough of man-centeredness to it. It's all centered in Christ and all centered in God. And Paul says, listen, this is important for you to understand. You may be persecuted for believing the truth, but stand firm in the truth. And then the fifth question he asks is simply this. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. In other words, does God work in your life by law or by faith? How does God work in your life? The Christian life is a walk of faith. It's not a walk of the law. You know, some people believe now I've got to, I've been saved in Christ, but now I've got to, now I've got to strive to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not a part of the Christian life. Listen, I, you know, I'm... I'm really a strange bird, and I realize this. I'm probably going to make some of you mad when I say this. But uh, I don't really care whether we put stone tablets of the Ten Commandments everywhere or not. Because it's not the commandments that save, it's the gospel that saves. I'd much rather put a cross. I'd much rather put, a, uh, put an expression of, of the gospel than the law. Because the law will be there, but too many people look at that and say, Oh, I get it. This is how I get right with God. I, I do all these things. And, well, I can do that. They can't do that. Nobody can do that. The gospel is given by God because we can't do that. The law kills. The law casts into hell. The law just says, nah, 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 nah. You can't do it. That's my translation. It's... It's a loose translation of the Hebrew. But, you know, I, you can't do that. And I can just stand here, the law would say, and condemn you all day long. Because you say you've never murdered anybody. Well, have you ever hated anybody? Have you ever been angry with anybody enough to just, mm, you know? Well, I've never stolen, but have you ever coveted? Or have you ever cheated on your taxes? Or have you ever, you know, just uh, somehow got a refund at the, store and you thought, hey, I was supposed to get $10 back. I got $30 back. My lucky day. Now, giving the $20 back won't save you, but it'll sure condemn you because we all are thieves. We all are murderers with the understanding of Jesus of the law. We all covet. We all lie. I had somebody the other week tell me, I've never told a lie in my life. I said, you just did. <laughs> but you know, I think they were convinced. They never lied. They never had lied. So I started asking little questions. Well, did you ever, well, yeah, I might have done, you know, I might have stretched the truth a little bit. That was a lie. You know? 
We get so proud sometimes as humans, you know. I can, I can do this. This Christian life business, this law business, I can do it. Paul says you can't do it. That's why you come and you throw yourself on the mercy of the judge, the judge of the universe, God Almighty, and you say, listen, I can't do this. And he says, you're getting there. I, 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 I need somebody to help me. I need somebody who did obey the law perfectly. And he says, I tell you what, I can cover you in the righteousness of my son who obeyed it perfectly. His righteousness can be your righteousness. Whew. That gives me cold chills. That God Almighty, the just one, the one who declares what is just and what is right, the one who, who rules supremely, Paul says later, is also the justifier of the unjust. And yet he does it without sin. He does it without becoming unjust himself because it's on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross. By grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. No one can say, I did it. But Christ does it. That's what we're concerned about. What has Christ done? Not what can I do. What can Christ do? What has Christ done? Well, there Paul is looking at their experience. He's looking at what they've gone through and he's saying, how can you turn away from so great a salvation? How can you turn away from so great a truth as this? And then he turns to the scripture. And he does this through the rest of, really through chapter 4. And we're not going to take... Uh, all of that tonight, but I want you to look at those first few verses, six through nine, just four verses. He goes to Abraham. Abraham, when the Jews and the Judaizers spoke of the ultimate of the holy person, you know, the ultimate of the person they respected in their faith, it was Abraham. Abraham was the father of Judaism. Abraham was the, was the birth of Judaism, in a sense. God was actually when it birthed it, but Abraham's when it started. He, he came out of Ur of the Chaldees. He came out of the land that he, he didn't know where he was going. He, he traveled and followed God, and God led him to, to where he was going. And, and, and Abraham just, just followed God. Abraham was the first one that God really began to deal with about the gospel. Even before Christ came into the world. Thousands of years before Christ came into the world. And this is what he said. He said, even, even so Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sons of Abraham, those are the ones who keep the law, right? No. No, it's those who are of faith. This is, this is Paul's view that begins to, to come into Galatians. You see it amplified in Romans where he talks about the Israel of God. Israel said, we are, the, we are the sons of Abraham. Paul says, no, it's those who have faith. It's those who trust God and believe the gospel of God. They are the sons of Abraham. They are the Israel of God. They are the people of God. 
Therefore, be sure that as those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham, the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, you don't see that happening until over there in Acts chapter 10, 9 and 10. The the Scripture, it gives it almost a personal view here that the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. It preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Not the law worker, not the doer, but the believer. Abraham, Abraham was saved in the same way that you and I are saved. You say, wait a minute, Bill. We're saved by putting our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That happened Thousands of years after Abraham. How can Abraham be saved in the same way? Because Abraham looked forward to the promise. He believed in the Messiah that was to come. He believed in the perfect Lamb of God that was to come. He had all the sacrifices and he understood those that they pointed to the one who was to come. They pointed to Christ. And he didn't believe in those sacrifices. He believed God, that God's promise would be fulfilled, and he believed in the coming Messiah, and he put his faith in Christ before he even knew who Christ was, but he was trusting in the one that was promised. He was saved in the same way that you and I are, by faith. Justification of Abraham was by faith. Now, this argument would carry some weight and and really shake some people up of these Judaizers who are wanting to say, oh, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to obey the law, you've got to do all this, and then you can trust in Jesus. Because Paul said, listen, it wasn't any of that that saved Abraham. That wasn't anything that saved Abraham except his faith that God was telling the truth about the gospel that was to come. And so he believed him. And, God, and Paul says, and it was reckoned to him. Don't you love that word, reckoned? Use it every day, don't you? It, it's... The Greek word that was a commercial banking term came right out of the, the, the commercial realm of Paul's day uh, or even of, of the Jewish day. Reckon meant simply that something was credited to one's account. Other words, so Abraham believed God and it was credited to his account as righteousness. Imputed, credited to his account as righteousness. See, that's where your righteousness comes from also. It doesn't come from what you do. It doesn't come from how good you can be. Your righteousness, if you have real righteousness, comes from being reckoned to you because of your faith. In Jesus Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ alone that's what grace is folks that's what justification by faith is that's what the gospel is and that's what must drive our lives you say well Bill are you saying then that you know good works don't matter no I told you last week I said I I agree with Jesse Mercer who said that that good works justify us only in the sight of men and angels, but not in the sight of God. Yes, 
works are a part of our life that work itself out. If we're really in Christ, there will be good works. But those good works are not what save us. They're not even what keep us saved. They're just the natural happening because of the indwelling of Jesus Christ. You know, but our faith can't be in our good works. Because we're going to see in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, just a few weeks, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to stand before God in the judgment day and they're going to go, whoa, whoa, Lord, Lord, I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I really worked hard. I cast out demons in your name. You think that was easy work? No. I, 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 I spoke your name. I, I did all sorts of good deeds and I always said it was in your name. They were trusting in their good deeds for salvation. And God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, sure, you know me, Lord, because I'm the one that did all those great things. I did this stuff. Stuff? What stuff? You never knew me. You never trusted me. You never trusted me alone. But, but I, I, I sort of did, Lord. I, I, I acknowledged you and I did all this stuff. But you were trusting in the stuff. And the stuff doesn't save you. Salvation is in Christ. In faith in Christ. Alone. It's an important word, alone. But isn't it faith in Christ plus? No. That's a distortion. That's a heresy. If it's faith in Christ plus this, if it's faith in Christ plus baptism, that's wrong. If it's faith in Christ plus good works, that's wrong. That's not salvation. Salvation is faith in Christ alone. And that's what Paul is wanting to drive home to every believer at Galatia and at Grace in Somerset. Because it's the heart of the gospel. It is the very heart of the gospel. And God wants us to understand the heart of the gospel so that we can live gospel-driven lives. Not law-driven lives. And we'll talk more about this next week. Let's pray. Father, it's... It almost seems, as one person said to me last week, too simple. It's kind of amazing that we look for something hard. It is simple. It's your work that you do through faith. Father, help us to trust in you alone. Help us to walk by faith alone. Help us to cry out to you alone. Help us to know you alone. Help us, Lord, to have a gospel-driven life. That people will see Christ through us. Let us be lens. Let us be lens that people can see the glory of Christ through. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. You are our Savior. You are our Redeemer. You are our Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.